I'd like to read from the book of John, second epistle. Be reading verses 9 through 11. That's second John, verses 9 through 11. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Being a Christian is not always an easy thing to do. One of the things that God commands of us is that we be loyal to truth, that we emphasize the truth, that we learn the truth, that we obey the truth. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you shall know the truth if you're my disciples and the truth will set you free. John chapter eight, verse 32. But if it was just about truth, we could be as mean and ugly to people as possible and it wouldn't matter because as long as we were standing for the truth that would be all that mattered but that's not the only thing God commands of us God also commands us to love one another and to love people in general as a matter of fact that's the great command Jesus said in Matthew 22 verse 39 love your neighbor as yourself And so on one hand, God tells us we're a people of truth, we're loyal to truth, we have convictions, we will not compromise, we cannot give up ground that God has said is non-negotiable. We must stand for what's right. On the other hand, we are to love people, to care about them, to want what's best for them, and to bless them. And being a Christian is difficult in this regard because we have to constantly balance what it means to love people and what it means to stand for what's true and what's right at the same time. And sometimes people have gotten in their minds that love and truth are mutually exclusive, that you can't have one while you have the other. And so that's taken the easy path, that's taken the lazy path, frankly. To just say that truth is all that matters and I don't care how it affects you and what goes on in your mind and your heart. I'm going to tell you the hard truth and that's all I'm going to do. I don't have any regard for you and I don't have any concern for you in your soul. That's wrong. We can be very accurate doctrinally and yet still be empty because we're, we're devoid of love. That's lazy to do that. But it's also lazy to go over to the other side and to say, we're just going to be a people who love others. And that's our emphasis because that's what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. And when it comes to things that are true, we're not going to make those sticking points in our relationships with other people. That's lazy as well. And neither of those approaches pleases God. Open your Bibles if you haven't already done that to the book of 2 John tonight. As we continue our series on New Testament postcards, the one-chapter books in the New Testament, Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude, four books in the New Testament have just one chapter. And these short books are very often overlooked, but there are some really important principles for us to think about as Christians. As we think about the book of 2 John, it deals with the relationship between truth and love. That's what the book really is all about, the relationship between truth and love. 
And what John has in mind as he writes this letter is that the church, the elect lady and her children that he addresses in verses 1 and 2, has to think about what it means to be loyal to truth and what it means to love people at the same time. And sometimes what we do because we love people and because we're loyal to the truth, sometimes that doesn't look very loving to the world. Look at 2 John verses 9 through 11, if you would. Passage read just a moment ago by Lyle. 2 John verses 9 through 11 says that whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ has not God. But the Bible goes on to say in verse 10 of 2 John, it says, watch this, if anyone comes to you, Christians, and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds, it says in verse 11. Some of the things that God commands Christians to do because we're faithful to truth and because we care about what's right, some of those things may end up looking very unloving to the world around us. And so it's difficult for Christians to balance the relationship, the proper relationship between truth and love. And that's what this short epistle, just 13 verses, just 245 words is all about. And so as we think about the relationship between truth and love tonight and and what it means in our relationships with other people, let's notice, first of all, as you look at the book of 2 John, just very short, and by the way, I mentioned a moment ago, John writes to the elect lady and her children. There's a lot of discussion and nobody is really 100% sure whether John is writing to just a lady who is maybe a single mom or something and has has a household of children or whether he's writing to a church metaphorically speaking of the church as the elect lady either way think about this homes need a great proper balance of truth and love in our homes we do as we parent and raise our kids there's a proper balance between what's loving and what's true and both of those things can be blended together in a god-honoring way but the same thing is true in the church Every congregation will drift from God if we're all about truth and not emphasizing love. But we'll also drift from God if we're all about love and we're not properly emphasizing truth. And so whoever the elect lady is, whether it's a literal person or whether it represents a congregation, either way, the lessons apply, don't they? Now notice this in the first place. As you look at the book of 2 John, notice the first three verses. And if you look at the first three verses, I just want you to read with me for a moment. And notice that John talks about the blessing of truth. Listen to how often he mentions this word. The elder, he calls himself the older person. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Verse 2, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from the God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. And if you go on to verse 4, he says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. In the first four verses, he uses the word truth a number of times. What's he talking about in these first four verses? He's saying to the church, he's saying to individuals, truth matters. And it matters because truth is a blessing. 
Truth tells you what's real. It tells you what's substantial. It tells you what matters. God is a God who cannot lie. He is a God of all truth. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. He is a God who wants his people to be a people who know the truth. And notice if you would, if you think about the blessing of truth, just look at verses 1 through 3. Notice first of all, truth saves people. He calls this person or this congregation the elect lady. And the word elect has to do with salvation. It has to do with those that God has said belong to him. How is it that we become the elect? How is it that we become part of those who are saved? It's by listening to and heeding and obeying the truth. Truth saves people. If we're going to save people in Katy, Texas in 2021, the only way it's going to happen is by the preaching of the truth, by the gospel message that saves, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. That's what truth does. People need to hear the truth. Not only that, but tr truth is a blessing because it connects people together. When we're saved individually, we become part of a body collectively. And so John says, I love you in truth, elect lady, and not only me, but also all those who know the truth. There's a relationship that we share with each other because we know the truth, because we love the truth, because we want the truth to be promoted in the world around us. It connects people. It's a blessing. Truth is a blessing, thirdly, because it's objective. The truth is spoken of here. I realize that it seems arrogant these days for somebody to say, I know objectively what's real, what's true, and what's false. But that's what Christianity is. It is saying, I know God, and I know because He is a God of truth, I know the truth that He has revealed. Jesus made that claim I am the truth, John 14, verse 6. And he prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify, set apart my disciples by truth because your word is truth, John 17, verse 17. God wants us to realize there is an objective standard by which everybody is being measured, by which everybody is going to be judged one day, Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. It's objective. Truth is a blessing because it's practical. If you read on in the book of 2 John, he talks about how the truth abides in us. You see, truth is not just this concept that's out there and it's abstract. It's a real entity in our lives. And it helps us to make decisions, practical decisions on a daily basis. We can obey the truth. We can be faithful to the truth. We can respond to the truth. Romans chapter 2 verse 8. It's practical. It abides in us. It helps us to make good decisions as we walk in the light and follow Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Truth is a blessing, number five, because it's durable. It will be with us forever according to 2 John. Truth is going to be with us forever. It's durable. It's what lasts. People invest an awful lot into things that aren't going to last, things that aren't going to persist after this world comes to an end. But truth will. Truth is durable. It lasts. It will be with us forever. And then notice especially verse 3 as we think about the blessing of truth. Truth reveals God both his nature and his work. 
Notice that John is writing about God the Father and about his son, Jesus Christ. And he's talking in in terms that connect the two as if both Jesus and the Father are God. Truth reveals to us who God is, what he's like. It reveals his nature. We wouldn't know anything about God's nature were it not for the truth that he's given us, the message that he's given us. And so as God's people, we're thankful for truth because we know who God is. We know what he's like. But not only that, we know what God does. Look at verse 3 again. Grace, mercy, and peace. What's God all about? God is all about bringing grace to your life. He's all about bringing mercy to your life. He's all about bringing peace to your life as you listen to and respond to the truth in love. It's God's nature and God's work. And so should the church be concerned about truth? Should we be concerned about truth here at Katy? Should should we be concerned about what's being taught and what's being said and, and asking like the Bereans did in Acts 17? Does what's being taught correspond 100% with what's said in God's word? Should we be concerned about that? Bible teaches we should because truth is always, always, always a blessing for the people of God, for all people. It's a blessing to hear and know the truth. And that's one thing that John wants the church right off the beginning to understand. We need to be a people who are all about truth. What's right? What's true? But then secondly, as you continue in verses 4 through 6 of the book of 2 John, there's a commandment to love. And as you read verses 4 through 6, all of a sudden the word being repeated is not truth anymore. The word being repeated now is commandment. If you read through these verses, you'll find the word commandment at least four times in this short section of three verses. So listen, verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we have received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning. Here's the commandment, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Commandment, commandment, commandment. So he goes from the church listening to truth and knowing the truth and the blessing of truth to now talking about the commandments. And what's the emphasis of this particular passage? Think about this. We can talk about truth, but commandments make truth specific and binding. When God says, I am the Lord your God, you shall serve me only. That's a commandment. And it takes a truth. There is one God, and he alone is worthy of our loyalty, and it makes it binding on us. God wants our worship, and he wants our worship exclusively. Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So when we talk about commandments, what we're doing is we're taking the concept of truth, and we're bringing it down to the level where we can live it. And that's what he's talking about to the church. He's saying, I love you in truth. We're bound by truth. Truth abides in us. It's going to be with us forever. You need to be faithful to the commandments. That's why he starts talking about commandments. They take truth and make it practical, make it binding, make it specific. And then John zeroes in like a laser beam on one commandment in particular. 
There are many commandments in God's word. Things that God has said, you shall obey me in this regard. You shall not do this in this other regard. Those are commandments. But what John zeroes in on is obedience to the commandments in verse 4. And he zeroes in on the love that is commanded in verse 5. You have to obey the commandments that God has given you because that's what people of truth do. Oh, and by the way, I want to remind you, it's not a new commandment. I want to remind you, brethren, that love is a commandment. Truth tells us to love other people. Why? Because God loves other people. This is the commandment. It's what God expects of us. And then in verse 6, he wonderfully blends both love and obedience. We must obey the truth. And in fact, verse 6 teaches that when we walk according to God's commandments, what we're doing is we're loving God and, get this, we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. Even if our neighbor says, you don't really love me, I saw the way you treated me, I I hear what you're saying to me, even if that's what our neighbor's saying, if we're walking according to the commandments, if we're doing what God has taught us to do, that is an expression of love. Love and obedience always go together. You know, one of the things truth does is truth really unsettles people. It cuts to the heart of people, and it causes people to question You know, my life is not what God would have it to be. Why would you tell me these hurtful things? Why would you tell me these difficult things? And a Christian has to be able to say, I tell you these things. I share these things with you, not because you're my enemy, but because I want you to be my brother. Love and obedience always go together. If I'm not obeying God's commandments, listen to me. If I'm not obeying God's commandments and doing what he has commanded me to do, I'm also not loving you. Because when I start walking in a different way than what God has commanded, I'm not expressing love properly anymore. So there is a blessing to be found in knowing the truth, and there is a commandment within the truth that we're supposed to love people. Everybody with me so far? Now, why is John bringing all this up? Why in these first six verses does he spend so much time talking about love and truth and commandments? Because of what he's about to say in verses 7 through 11. In verses 7 through 11, he gets to the real point of why he's writing this letter. Because it's hard to balance truth and love. It's hard to properly apply truth and love. And so here's what he does. He talks beginning in verse 7 about the danger of deceivers. It didn't take long after the gospel first went into the world before deceivers, false teachers, started to come around and started to preach different doctrines, different things than what the apostles taught. Didn't take long. And all these congregations that had been established all over the world, they were troubled very frequently because a preacher would come into town and there were no Motel 6s and there were no Holiday Inns in those days. And so if a Christian preacher came around and said, I want to spend some time with the church here in this city, and I want to talk to you about the gospel and about the message of Jesus. You know, as Christians, they were very hospitable to one another. You could expect from your brethren that because we're family, that if I go from town to town proclaiming the truth, proclaiming God's word, that I can find a place to stay in all these, all these cities. 
But John is now warning his brethren. He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you fling your doors open to everybody who claims that they're serving Jesus Christ, I want you to think about some things. I want you to stop because, yes, it's good to love people who are coming through town, but I want you to think about the people that are coming. And so in verse 7, he says this, many deceivers have gone out into the world. And he even tells in his context what these deceivers are saying. These deceivers do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So these people, by the way, there's a lot that's said and written about antichrist nowadays because of the doctrine of dispensational premillennialism. The idea that at the end of time there's going to be one individual who is called the antichrist who rises up and leads an army against the forces of good. None of that is taught in scripture. When the Bible talks about Antichrist, he just told you in 2 John verse 7 who Antichrist is. Antichrist is a first century false teacher, and there were many of them apparently, who does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He was a ghost. He was an apparition. He was something else. But he wasn't like you and me. He wasn't a a human like you and me. That's what these teachers were saying. And John says, People that do that are antichrist. And you need to understand, these people are not just, they're not just twisting the truth. They are anti, they are against the doctrine that conforms with truth. You got to understand who they are and what they're doing and the implications of this false teaching that they're carrying around with them. And then he goes on in verse 8. He talks about the danger to Christians of going back. Listen to what he says. Look to yourselves, Christians, that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. You've come so far. You've learned so much as a Christian. You're growing in your relationship with God. Don't listen to these deceivers because you're going to lose what you've worked for. You're going to go backwards, not forwards, if you listen to false teaching and if you listen to those that are deceivers. Don't do it. And then in verse 9, he talks about the danger of going ahead. Specifically, he's zeroing in on the doctrine that he just mentioned in verse 7. Whoever goes on, goes ahead, transgresses, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. That's about as plain a statement as you can make. All my life, I've read articles, all my preaching life anyway, about that verse and about that expression particularly. What does it mean when someone transgresses and goes on and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ? And there have been some well-meaning people who have tried to make this very exclusive and say, this is only applicable to people that are saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. That's the only way you can ever take 2 John 9 and apply it. It only applies if there's somebody running around Katy, Texas that says Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He wasn't really man. He wasn't really here on earth in the sense that The Bible says he was. If that's true, then okay, 2 John 9 applies, but it doesn't apply to any other area of false teaching. So the question is, what does the doctrine of Christ really refer to? The doctrine of Christ can be taken two ways grammatically. The first way is what I just mentioned. The idea that it's a teaching about who Jesus is. A teaching about Jesus, the doctrine of Christ, it has to do with 
the identity of Jesus. It has to do with the deity of Jesus. It has to do with the humanity of Jesus. It has to do with the fleshly incarnation of Jesus, the doctrine of Christ in that sense. However, it's also legitimate to look at the doctrine of Christ, that expression, as teaching that comes from Christ. Teaching that comes from Christ. So it's doctrine that is about Christ and who he is, but it's also doctrine that comes from Christ. Jesus gave the truth to his apostles. He told them he was going to do that. John chapter 16 and verse 13. The the Spirit was going to come and guide them into all truth. And whatever doctrine comes from Christ is also to be supported and defended and loved. 2 John 9 is saying something specific about people in a specific place and time, but the application is much broader than many people today would want to believe. It's the doctrine about who Jesus is, and it's also the doctrine that comes from Jesus. Which doctrine that comes from Jesus are you willing to throw out and say it doesn't matter? Which doctrine that comes from Jesus that's found in the New Testament are you willing to say that, you know what, that's really not all that important? Are you going to stand before the Lord and tell him that you stayed and abided in his doctrine when you thought that some truth that was revealed in his word really wasn't all that significant? So the danger of going ahead, when we walk ahead of the doctrine either about Christ or that comes from Christ, we do not have God. And then he turns and and says again in the same breath, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ He's willing to restrain himself and listen to what's been revealed and stand with what he knows to be true. He has both the Father and the Son. There is danger, brothers and sisters, in taking the Scriptures and twisting them to our own destruction. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. There's danger in doing that because we're going ahead of what's been revealed in the Bible. And then third... Or fourth, the danger of deceivers. There's a danger in going with them. So these itinerant preachers would come through town and they'd say, hey, I'm a New Testament Christian just like you, and I've got some things I want to say. And so the Christians would open their homes and they would provide meals and they would provide a place to stay. And these itinerant preachers would come through and they would have a great time. And they would stand up and they would preach and they would teach Bible classes and they would educate people. But if they're deceivers, if they do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, John says, again, verse 10, do not receive him into your house. So, I mean, let's play this out for just a minute. Here I am, an itinerant preacher. I don't teach that Jesus came in the flesh. In fact, I teach that he didn't. So I I, I come to town and, and I knock on your door. You're my brother in Christ. Maybe I've stayed with you before. You open the door. Hello, I'm here. I've I've, I've come to stay for a week or two. What's a Christian supposed to do? Christian is supposed to close the door. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you close the door, where am I going to stay? There's no place else for me to stay in town. I'm sorry, the Christian says. I cannot have anything to do with you because of the fact that you are a deceiver. Because of the confession that you make, that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that's something that has, has to be a dividing line. Because what you say about Jesus is not true, and it's going to cause people to lose their souls, and it's going to cause you to lose your soul. Well, well, at least will you wish me well? I'm sorry, the Christian says. 
I can't even wish you well. Because what you're doing is destructive. And what you're doing is wrong. Truth and love. Doesn't look very loving. Imagine what somebody, some pagan walking by sees these two Christians having this conversation, sees these two individuals having this conversation. What do they think? It's difficult. John is saying truth matters. Love matters. And keeping those things in balance when somebody else doesn't preach and support the truth really is a tough decision and a tough situation. But think about this. Why is it dangerous for us as Christians to go with those who deceive? Why is it dangerous for us to receive them and to welcome them and to encourage them? Why is it dangerous? Three reasons. Number one, because in doing so, we might give the false teacher the impression that his heretical doctrine is acceptable. Oh, you know, old brother so-and-so, he knows a lot of Bible. He's got a lot of scripture memorized, and he's, he knows some of the apostles, and, and, and he can teach a great lesson. I know he's got some quirky ideas about the nature of Jesus. I know that he doesn't confess that Jesus came, came in the flesh, but I mean, is that something we really need to be all that concerned about? And it gives the false teacher the impression that what he's teaching that's going to destroy people's souls and cost them their eternal salvation is somehow acceptable. We can't do that and properly love God and properly love people. Secondly, why is it a danger to go with those who teach what's false? Because there's a danger of infection through association and through friendship. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man living an immoral lifestyle. In 1 Corinthians 5 verses 1 and 2, he was sleeping with his father's wife, the Bible says. And Paul goes on in verses 3 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 5 to say that what the church needed to do was to purge out that leavening influence. He is a bad influence in the church. The way he's living his life, the things that he's doing, those things are influencing God's people in the wrong ways, in all the wrong ways. You got to purge that unless he's willing to repent. And the same is true, even more true, of those who carry false teachings with them. And then third, why is it dangerous to go with those who teach things that are false? Because you're giving the false teacher ammunition to use at his next stop. Well, I came to the Katy congregation. You know them. They're a faithful congregation. They, they uphold the truth. They stand for the truth. And they accepted me. And, and they supported me. And, and what's your problem? There's something about associations that gives us some credibility with others. And so John says... It's a very hard thing. When you think about verses 10 and 11, that's got to be one of the hardest things God's ever asked Christians to do, to close your door and to not welcome somebody who needs a place to stay because they do not teach the truth and because they have this agenda to support things that are false. But we're not really loving people and we're not really loving the truth. And worst of all, we're not really loving God if we pretend like it doesn't matter. I said at the outset, there are some things about Christianity that are really hard to navigate. We need prayer, we need wisdom, and we need God to help us in situations like these. 
Because don't think that the things that we're talking about tonight are exclusive to the first century. And that churches today and individual families today don't ever have to deal and struggle with some of these things. Truth matters. Love is a commandment. But deceivers are real. And all three of those things together can make for some very challenging circumstances for the church. By the way, I like verse 12. Verse 12 kind of sums up local ministry all in one verse. John says in verse 12, having many things to write to you, I didn't wish to do so with paper and ink. I got a lot more to say to you, church, John says. But I've just written these short verses, and I want to come and see you face to face that our joy may be full. It's about local ministry. There are a lot of things to talk about. There are a lot of things for preachers to deal with in the course of helping a congregation to grow in spiritual ways and good ways. But most of that's done better face-to-face than it's done in writing. And John wanted to do just that. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for books like Second John because it raises one single circumstance and it turns it just about every way you can turn it to look at it. What's the relationship between truth and love? And then when we throw false teachers in the mix, what are we supposed to do? And it helps us to very practically see how God expects Christians to behave. I'm thankful that God has shown us things like this, aren't you? Let's be loyal to the truth and let's never forget that God commands us to love with all of our hearts and to love people especially. If you're here tonight, you need to obey the gospel. If you're here and you need to ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours. While together we stand and while we sing.